Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Good morning to you, my friend. So good to start this week with you and this brand new day with you. Well, I don't know if somebody overtly told me that once I gave my life to Jesus, everything was going to be great, or if that was just something I conjured up on my own. But either way, I definitely believe that to some degree. I had this belief system that I was somehow entitled to something after I gave my life to Jesus, like I was entitled to things being easier. I think there was a period in, uh, certainly within the church, and still exists to somewhat to a degree today, where people, it's kind of been presented in media, on television, in even to a certain extent on radio, like, you know, if you follow Jesus, it's all going to be just a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be a miserable nobody right. if you don't. Well, we all know that that's really an oversimplification on both sides. Yeah. When you give your life to Jesus, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you'll never go through anything alone. Right. But it doesn't mean that the things that you go through, like somehow now there's some Christian bubble around you and you're immune to the things that this world, how the world impacts us. I mean, Jesus himself said it in this world, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. I know when I was a young kid, I was only, that was, I was only a few years removed from when the uh, Jim Elliott and uh, his friends died uh, at the hands of the Elka Indians. Mm-hmm. And so I had that picture in my mind growing up, people sacrificing right. to share the gospel. So then you're seeing later these people talking about how life is great. God's going to give you all this money if you just follow him. I'm going, eh, maybe not so much. Right, right. Well, this whole idea that, you know, everything's just going to be better once you give your life to Jesus is not reality. But we do have the power of God to help us to battle the things that life brings our way. If there are things that you were tempted to be a part of before you gave your life to Jesus, it doesn't necessarily mean that once you give your life to Jesus, those things are not going to be a part of your life anymore. But you have a new power to battle them. And I don't know anybody who says it better than Jen Ledger. And if you don't know who she is, she's the drummer for the band Skillet. She also has her own band now. She's the lead singer of Ledger. And uh, she's an incredible incredible drummer. I mean, maybe the best that there is on the earth today. She's phenomenal. But it would surprise you that she has a personal battle that didn't go away when she gave her life to Jesus. But I don't want you to hear it from me. I want you to hear it from Jen. There was about three years ago where I started to have panic attacks and anxiety in a way that I'd never had before. I was waking up in the night with like actual terror in my heart. And it was when I was praying about the Ledger Project and it was kind of starting to become more real. And I thought, like, I just felt discouraged and I felt completely defeated because I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you wake up in the night that afraid and you're claiming to be a person of faith on a platform, the enemy quickly tells you, see, you're not good enough, you're not brave enough, you're not strong enough, this is Mm -hmm. who you really are. And uh, it made me feel a bit like a fraud or like I can't believe that I would fight something like this when I'm Mm -hmm. meant to be a woman of faith. And... I was wrestling through that a lot and it was such an intense season that I thought surely now that I've wrestled that, it was that dark. I thought it was like the final victory. It was about a year later I was on stage with Skillet and I felt the panic start to come back and it just like 
I thought I'd beat it. And so I came off stage and I talked to Corey Cooper. She plays guitar for Skillet. And I just said, after all these years, I cannot believe that I'm still struggling with mm-hmm. the same thing after fighting it over and over and over again. Like, what if this is something that just never goes away for me? Yeah. And she looked at me and she said, then you fight, Jen, while there's breath in your lungs. And until the day that you die, you never stop fighting. And you do not let fear rob you of your own life. Because, you know, as Christians, I think that when we have those struggles of fear and anxiety, we can tend to let it make us think, I'm going to hold back. I'm not even going to try because I know myself. I know what's in my heart. I'm not good enough. And what I'm learning through the Bible and through people like David, Moses, Gideon, God chooses the people that don't make sense. David wasn't even invited to the anointing because he's the small young brother. And actually, it's through your weaknesses that he displays his glory even more. Like if someone that can't speak begins to speak for a nation, that Mm -hmm. matters more than someone who is already eloquent. So I'm just kind of like, what I found such a freedom in is God chooses the weak. He Mm -hmm. chooses the fool. He chooses the unlikely. He chooses the inadequate. He chooses the are-nots. He chooses those that do not make sense. And then he glorifies himself through them. Because the weaker you are, the faster you realize this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. Mm -hmm. So as a believer, it came to a place for me of rather than letting fear or my like broken side, rather than letting that stop me, I'm actually going to let it be like, I rejoice in the fact that I know I'm not good enough. And I rejoice in the fact that I know I'm broken. Mm-hmm. And he is with me. He wants me to do this. Mm-hmm. I know I'm weak. I know I can't, but he can. I'm not going to all of a sudden be bigger than the opponent. I'm not yeah. going to change here. I'm still broken. Mm-hmm. I still struggle. But he's with me and he's chosen me and he loves yeah. me. And that's where my power is, you know. Oh my gosh, that resonates with me so much. Rejoice in the fact that you're not good enough. Yeah, I can jump on board with that. And the, my favorite thing that Jen just shared with us that I want to share with you from my heart to yours this morning, somebody needs to hear this this morning. If you're still battling the enemy, keep fighting. Keep fighting as long as there is breath in your lungs. Keep fighting. Hey, if you ever feel like you're unqualified, like you don't have anything to offer, like you want to do incredible and amazing things for God, but you're like, you know what? I don't have an education. I'm missing this. I don't speak well. And now different people from the Bible are coming to mind. Like Moses was one of the people who said, yeah, I'd like to, but you know, I'm not really eloquent. Seriously, I spent all that time getting you trained in the palace of Pharaoh and right, you see right, right. you're not eloquent. And he turns it down. So, yeah, I don't know if he like had a speech impediment or if he just kind of talked in circles or what Moses' thing was. But if God wants to use you, he can use you. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that that you need as far as a prerequisite or a qualification is that you're tapped into who he is. There's a story in the Bible that talks about a beggar at a gate called Beautiful, and he sat at the entrance to the temple and he begged for money. And as Peter and John were entering the temple, they said, I don't have any money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And everyone wanted to know what happened, so Peter and John just told them about Jesus. Now, the religious leaders were furious and they had Peter and John arrested. And then the next day they were questioned in court And they wanted to know by what power they had healed the beggar. And so Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered, it's by the power of the name of Jesus that the crippled man stands here today completely healed. 
And here's the thing. I'm, I'm still always marveling. at This is a true miracle. A man who's been lame mm-hmm. is asking for money is, and he's been made whole. And they're, they're concerned. What? <laughs> Why did you heal this guy? Right. Rather than celebrating and high-fiving with this guy that right. he is up on his own two feet and that he's walking around and that his whole life has just radically changed. Right. He can work. He can... He can dance, he can walk, he can go buy groceries, he can, you know, all the things. He's not going to be there begging for money no, anymore. No, and instead of celebrating that, they're nitpicking about where this, where, did this where the power authority come from? Yeah. came from, where this power come from. But then, you know, as Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he answers their questions, he went on to say, there's no one else who has the power to save us, for there's only one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus. And those who were educated and entitled were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were ordinary, uneducated men. Let that sink in. They were ordinary, uneducated men who had never had religious training. And then they began to see the effect that Jesus had on them simply because they were spending time with them. And we still see this today. A lot of times you will see maybe experts belittling some others who speak with authority from Scripture, and they say, well... Look at their upper there. They're from the backwater of whatever. And, right. and uh, they don't have any formal training. How, how can they speak to this? Yeah. I just recently had a friend share with me just that she felt, yeah, she, she's looking for more education. She's looking for more. How do I better equip myself? Because I want to be used by God in a powerful way and had the opportunity to kind of see her in motion. And it was so beautiful. I know she was fearful when she stepped into it, but it was so powerful because She spoke with conviction, Mm -hmm. you know, she spoke with not all, she didn't have all the, or all the education, all the degrees and all Mm -hmm. that, but she just spoke with a confidence that was a a God given confidence because those who spend time with God are passionate about who he is and they do speak with authority and with personal conviction, which is way more compelling than impressive, you know, words and lofty eloquation. Is that even a word, eloquent? <laughs> I'm not sure it was an eloquent. just rolled off my we tongue. Just, just rolled off there. Anyway, if you long for more faith or greater boldness in living for Jesus, I'm telling you that the way to get there is spend time with the Lord. The more you carve out time and you push away all the other stuff that's kind of demanding your attention, the stuff that just kind of makes us busy, and we focus on the reality that God's right here right now, the more effect Jesus has on our lives. And others are going to take notice of that effect. They're going to see that we're different and that we ha- it's going to give us an incredible opportunity to tell them why we're different. And it's just because of Jesus, mm. only because of Jesus. And this always gets me, this, you know, this story of how God uses ordinary and un- uneducated people because I fall under that category of ordinary and uneducated. But I'm so grateful for God's presence. I love to spend time with him. And just by being in his word and by being with him, he's changing me. Just a little bit every day. It may not be noticeable, you know, on the outside, but you look back a couple decades, you can see God's doing something there and it's pretty cool. So God doesn't look at what man looks at. Man looks at appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he chose some fishermen to start this gospel movement that is still moving today. Let that sink in. He is still choosing unlikely people to move the mission forward to every area of the earth. And that means you and I are qualified totally qualified to be used by God today. God, use us in whatever way you see fit.
Do you ever feel guilty about praying for yourself? <laughs> I know that it could seem a little selfish, and sometimes I have to admit, I feel I might be laundry listing things. Mm. And I'm not really being thoughtful about what I'm bringing to the table. Mm. But on the other hand, we really shouldn't feel bad about praying for ourselves. Well, John Kessler shared some thoughts on this in the Today in the Word devotional. In fact, if you read it at all last month, you know the whole month was dedicated to the subject of prayer, so it's a big topic. He does remind us that Jesus taught his disciples to pray not just about their spiritual needs, but personal needs as well, and that we should pray for our daily bread. Now, what does that look like? This, well, it could allude to the way God provided food for Israel on their 40-year trek through the wilderness, But John said it also points to a major difference between our experience and Jesus's original audience. For many of them, whether they would eat or not was a daily was a daily question. Yeah. Now our circumstances, of course, at least for most of us, is not that pressing. But we too depend on God for our daily needs. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to spiritual needs, Jesus focused on two of the most important concerns. One was the need for forgiveness and the need for the preservation from temptation. Now, we're warned about the danger of refusing to forgive others. Now, Jesus said, For if you forgive other, other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, then your Father will not forgive your sins. That's kind of a sobering thought right That's a there. hard one. It is. Now, this expands the request forgiveness in verse 12 to mean, Forgive us our debts to the same degree that we have forgiven our debtors. It's not that we earn forgiveness when we forgive others. It's that the experience of God's grace should prompt us to show grace to others. Only those who know the grace of God by experience can forgive, as Jesus describes. Yeah, yeah, that's because you've experienced the grace, then Really, we've been given freely give, right? Mm, that's, right. That's, that's the, the whole idea. thing right there. Yeah. And when it comes to the, you know, the laundry listing that you were talking about and like praying for our needs. Right. Obviously, you know, there it is in the Lord's Prayer that we are just, we can ask the Lord, you know, Jesus modeled for us, give us today our daily bread. But it that shouldn't be the entirety of the prayer, right? Because the Lord's Prayer models, like you said. Right goes on to spiritual needs like forgiveness and not being led into temptation and that his kingdom would come now as it is happening right now in heaven, that it would happen on earth in the same way. So there's there's laundry listing where it starts and ends with just the list. Right, right. And I think that's the thing that you're warning against, yeah? yeah exactly. Yeah. It, and sometimes we even when we feel like we put it up front, we're being a little bit selfish, but there it was up front. Sure. In the Lord's Prayer. So yeah. it's he's not saying don't pray for things that you have need of. In fact, as we go through some of this laundry listing, we may begin to see, you know, I really don't need to be bringing this particular thing before. That's more of a want than a need. I'm going to set that aside for now. Yeah. And, as, and particularly if you go about the process of journaling some of these prayers, you could see, okay, God answered this prayer on this date. You can write that down and just exactly how that worked out. Or just check yeah. it off and say, this, God answered the prayer. Yeah. Date it. I have a, a journal that I purchased and have yet to start using. I journal all the time, but this is a specific prayer journal where you write down the prayer request. You write down the date that you're making the request. You mm-hmm. pray that and 
you know, every day or as often as you pray it. And then when God answers that prayer, you write it down in red ink, the date that he answered it and how he answered it so Ah. that you have this ongoing log of what you're praying into, what you're asking God for and how he answered that prayer. And of course, as that red ink will kind of highlight what happened there. Yeah, for sure. All right. So what's on your prayer list? It sounds like a familiar commercial, but yeah, what's on your (laughs) prayer list? The Holy Spirit can help us filter out those things that indeed are selfish and not beneficial, but go ahead and make the list. Mm -hmm. Tell God about your needs. You might want to keep a written record, as we just talked about, so you could celebrate the way that God answers. So let's boldly go to God's throne of grace where we can find help in our time of need. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being in church, and we are walking through the Gospels, looking at narratives of Jesus and his life while he was here on earth. And we were looking at Luke 15, and verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. And sinners is in quotes, by the way. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them three stories. He wanted to address this. (laughs) Not just one, Mm -mm. but three. Let me try to help you to understand something about God and and how he embraces people. Okay, so he tells them three stories, but I want to focus just on the last story, the third story that he told them. And, And this is it. You might be familiar with this, but maybe you're hearing it for the first time. There was a man who had two boys, and his youngest boy asked for his share of his father's estate while his father was still alive, which is rude. Yeah, and and not only in that culture, it was unthinkable. I mean, it's just another way of saying... I wish you were dead so right. that I could just have all the benefits of being your son without the relationship. That's pretty much what he was saying. Yep. So shocking, the father agrees to give him the money. So not long after he he got everything from his dad, he kind of loaded up everything he owned and he took off. And he wasted the money on wild living until it was gone and he had nothing left. So in desperation, he had to find a job. He got some work feeding pigs. Yeah, it's, a, it's important to note that the friends he acquired while he had the money suddenly disappeared when right. the money was gone. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point right there. Yeah. So he's he's on his own and he's needing money for resources. So he gets a job feeding pigs, which for a Jewish boy, this would have been, you know, unheard uh, again, of. Yeah. Anyway, he's so hungry and in such dire straits, the stuff that he's feeding the pigs actually looks good to him. He wishes he could have some of it to eat himself. Oh, And nobody gives him anything. So he comes to his senses, you know, in the midst of, you know, looking at the pig slop and wishing he could eat it and not even being able to eat that, not having anything, comes to his senses and he realizes the guys who are serving my dad, the guys who work for my dad are actually better off than I am. So he decides to go back home and just ask his dad for a job. He knew he had blown his chance at, you know, being his son by basically saying, I wish you were dead. I just want your money. So he's not going to go back and try to get reinstated as son, but he's like, maybe I could be a servant for my dad. At least I wouldn't die of hunger then. So on his way home, he plans out what he's going to say to his dad. And when his dad saw him coming, he was filled with compassion for his boy. He re- he runs out and he meets him and he welcomes him home with hugs and with kisses. And again, culturally unheard of. Yeah. You thought the father would have been out there, yeah, with the villagers ready to beat the kid and tell him to get out. Right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's what he deserved. But yeah. that's not what the dad did. So the son starts in on the apology, you know, through the hugs, through the kisses. He's like trying to apologize to his dad. And his dad is like already, 
making provisions for to reinstate him as his son. You know, get get my coat, get get my shoes. Like, we're gonna throw a party. We're gonna celebrate. My son is home. And one of the things that um, my husband was preaching yesterday, and one of the things he said that really stood out to me from this message was, "Hard times have a way of making us come to our senses." And I know that's been true in my mm. own life. Some of the hardest stuff that I have been through has definitely made me run to the father, just run to the father. Like this is beyond me. I don't know what to do. And I just find myself running to God. But there are some other things that I think Jesus wants us to gather out of this message. He wanted the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the religious leaders to all know some things about the father. And that's why he told this story. And it's because the religious leaders thought it was all about the rules, all about how it looked. Yeah. And Jesus said, no, you got it wrong. Yeah, it's really a matter of relationship and it's really a matter of heart because there's more to the story. And, you know, the the older brother who was following all the rules and doing all the things also missed the opportunity to be in relationship. He At one point he says, I've been slaving for you all these years. You know, so he missed it too. They Both right. sons were trying to earn their right standing with the dad. But just some things in regards to the relationship between the dad and the younger brother, here's some things that we can take away about who God is. He welcomes us. He doesn't shame us. He's generous with us. He loves us. He forgives us. And he restores our identity. And I think Jesus wanted them to know that at the time, the people he was telling the story to. But I also think he wants us to know this about the Father today. He's watching and waiting for us to come to him. And he'll run to meet us. And of course, I think this story always makes us think of the one moment when we were, you know, we were far away from God and we decided to turn and come back to him for the first time, maybe. But I think we have returning moments all the time in our daily lives. I had one just yesterday in worship. I just kind of became aware of an area in my life where I felt like I was squandering what God had given me. I'd not been a good steward of my time and I felt really guilty for it. And I felt the ache of that. And so I apologized to him for it, you know, and I asked God to just renew my mind and control my mind and help me to use my time better. And we have these, you know, return to him moments all the time. But here's the thing that I realized about myself yesterday when I had my return to him moment. I need to stop practicing my speech, <laughs> you know, coming back guilty and feeling, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I want, you know, I just, that's not how I want to spend my time. And you've given me this task to do. And I squandered this time and, you know, all the things. And it's like, I just felt the Lord just wrapping in his arms around me and saying, just let me love on you. You don't need the speech. We can skip the speech. So maybe today this is resonating with you and you're like, wow, whether it's Shauna's story or the younger brother, I just resonate with having blown it and feeling like I don't deserve what the father offers. You can return to him this morning. You can turn to God this morning. Just let him love on you today. Skip the speech (laughs) and just let him love on you. Well, you've heard people say you are what you eat. I know that your doctor will probably tell you that to a certain extent. And I do feel it was really true in my life because at one point in my life, I was almost 80 pounds overweight. Mm. And I remember my dad did, was not real happy that I'd allowed myself to get this much overweight. He grew up on a farm. He was always busy. And even in his later years of life, he always tried to do some push-ups or do some exercises to keep himself fairly trim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was a point I got, I said, I can't keep doing this anymore because 
doing just eating what I wanted to eat had some negative consequences. What was the tipping point for you? I th- I think the tipping point really was you know I thought you know if if my kids ever giving grandchildren <laughs> I'm not going to be able to chase those things mm-hmm. those kids around mm-hmm. I'm just not going to be able to do it and it, you know regardless you know my retirement years are going to be coming up and I want at least be healthy and strong to enjoy those years no matter what I'm doing what was the uh, first step you took in that weight loss journey what first, was the first thing first you cut step out? I took home oh my well, first thing I cut out was pop mm-hmm. <laughs> I, because that, as the, as yeah, the doctor says, the don't drink the calories. Yep. So that, and I d- tended to drink, you know, a large Coke every day. I had to go, so took that out. I immediately cut potato chips out of my lunch program. That mm-hmm. that went away, and eventually cut some other. Actually, I was pretty drastic initially. I cut a lot of things out, then I slowly let some stuff back in once I got the weight down, and it wasn't real easy to do because sometimes I'm sitting here. Oh, right. Wanting, craving, wanting, craving, suffering for Jesus here, you know, <laughs> the kind, of, kind of thing. But, but you anyway, did it. But I, but I did it, you know, really the same is true on the spiritual side because we can buy into spiritual junk food, which may make us may feel comfortable, but it doesn't do the work of bringing true wisdom and godliness to our lives. It's, there was a report released back in May of last year from the Cultural Resource Center at Arizona Christian University that said, and I, I was kind of shocked when I read this, 37% of pastors hold a biblical worldview. 37% of all pastors that's hold it. That's it. I'm going, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said among the lead pastors, 41% possessed a biblical worldview, but, and you know it's all downhill from here. And then... Uh, and when you got into the subgroups, less than one-third of assistant or associate pastors had a worldview, 28%. Teaching pastors went down to 13%. I wow. guess I guess maybe they're doing TED Talks or something like that. Okay, so hang on just a minute. Okay, if 13% of our teaching pastors don't hold a biblical worldview, that tells me we need to be in the Word of God. We need to know and not just assume that what we're hearing is truth, but to test it. You know what I mean? To invite the Holy Spirit to say, show me what you want me to know about this. Yeah, and then the youth pastors, it was down to 12%. So again, uh, in some ways you can maybe understand that a little bit just because of their youth. But still, I think as a parent, that tells me I need to really be involved and know what this leader is teaching my yeah, kids. Right. Not just assume they've got it all together. They've been through Bible college. They've been doing the seminary work. Uh, but what have they been teaching them while they've been there? I mm-hmm. guess maybe that's the important thing. And what have they been bringing to the table during the meantime? Where are they else are they getting their information from? You know, those wrong beliefs tend to come from properly, improperly interpreting God's word. Second Timothy 2.15 says that we're to do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved. And one of the most significant purposes of God's word is to be one who correctly handles the word of God. You know, God's, the Bible is, and you got to take this seriously, folks. God's Bible is God's revelation. Mm -hmm. It's inerrant, infallible, and perfect. Too often values and sensibilities are brought to the table and judge, judge the Bible by it rather than let it judge us. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And even Paul warned against this as he was fighting off a Gnostic heresy during his time of ministry. Uh, The Gnostics didn't believe that the body was good, so they wouldn't accept that Jesus was God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. But he says, no. Just like John 1.14 says, the Word became flesh. The Gnostics wanted to change this to be more compatible with the Greek human wisdom of the Mm -hmm. time, which was that the spirit is good, body is bad. Mm -hmm. Um, We see the same kind of spirit at work today to bend the Scriptures to be more in line with what makes us feel comfortable or what makes us more acceptable in Mm -hmm. society. Really, the best way for us to defend ourselves against false teaching is to learn to handle the Scriptures accurately and faithfully. It's like you learn how to figure out what a fake dollar bill is. You right. don't study the counterfeit. Right. You study, study the, the real, real thing. thing. Exactly. And as we open up God's word, we need to be constantly asking that God himself would bring revelation, that by his spirit, we would come to know and understand what God is saying to us yeah. in his word. So my encouragement is this. Let's just renew our efforts to dig deep into God's word today. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.